time for us to open the Word together. So please have your Bible out. We are going to be, you're going to need this. And we are going to be in Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Let's pause again just for a moment before we, before we hop into the Word. Lord Jesus, you promised that when the Spirit came, that the Spirit would reveal you and would be our teacher. You said no one, no one would ever, ever need a teacher, that they would all be taught by the Spirit. And then when you ascended, you made some to be teachers. So, Lord, would you help us this morning to teach one another? Would you help us in our discussions? Would you help us as we open the word together to encourage one another? Would your spirit illuminate the scriptures to us so that we might understand and give understanding to each other? Lord God, would you, as we've already prayed this morning, would you take our minds and our hearts and focus them on yourself? We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Corinthians. And uh, believe it or not, we're in week seven of Corinthians. Chapter 3, so I think we're going a whole lot faster than we were through John. And let's just recap some of what we had a look at last time. Let me see. Please excuse my sniffle. This morning I spent a lot of time with primary school students this week and they like sharing things. Anyone else here have a sniffle this last week? Cool, not alone, that's wonderful. The Apostle Paul, for the first couple of chapters of Corinthians, makes the one argument stretched over about four chapters and his response changes and he looks at little pockets of what's going on, but he's fundamentally responding in the first four chapters to this issue that people in the Corinthian church had been bragging. They had been jealous for one another's position and power and station in the church and they had been bragging about who had baptized them. And so Paul, we're seeing here the words of uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he comes through uh, 2 Corinthians, remembering that for Paul there were no chapter or verse distinctions, and he talks about the the difference between having a faith that is grounded in, in someone else's identity or someone else's personality and having a faith which is grounded in the Lord himself. And he comes through... uh, through 2 Corinthians, really emphasizing the spirit that for Paul there is this fundamental understanding that if you are God's person, if you are part of God's people, now the the measure of that is that the spirit of God is in you. The very presence of God is in you in a way that it had never been before Christ. And when we look through the Old Testament, we we talked about this, that the Holy Spirit would come on particular people for particular periods of time and, and for particular appointments. And we see the Holy Spirit, the Lord actually takes away from King Saul. But now because of Christ, because you and I have been washed by the blood of Christ, that's the language we use to say that he has taken our sins off us and onto himself. He has taken the judgment of God off us and onto himself. The Holy Spirit can now come and live within us. And Paul is so on about the Spirit. And he comes through, as we see here in 2 Corinthians verse 13, this is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. 
comparing spirit to spirit, it says in the original language. And then Paul goes on and he talks that if if someone does not have the Holy Spirit, they're not going to get it. And we talked about this last week, that we need to be comfortable actually looking stupid to people who have no idea. And it was great when Tim was sharing this morning, he used to go, yeah, there are people who are simply not going to get it, that it is the most offensive thing you can say to kind of our pluralistic, um, syncretized uh, Western culture is to say, yeah, there, there is a fundamental and and it means that we are fundamentally wrong, that every human being is busted and broken. As Paul says, um, born dead in transgressions. This is a rude thing to say. And you know what? If the Spirit of God is at work on someone, then we can expect that that person is actually going to get it. This is the great part. You and I don't have to change someone's heart. The Lord is going to do that. We have to witness to him faithfully. We have to follow him with passion, but we don't, we don't have to change someone else's heart. So Paul has been talking about wisdom and foolishness. First part of chapter 3, we're going to read the first nine verses together. I put some colors up here. We'll explain it in a minute. Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. This is Paul talking about when he first turned up, which we find in the book of Acts. When he first went to Corinth, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you, past tense, milk, not solid food. You were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Verse 5, what, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. The Corinthian church was a church where there were arguments happening. We see here the language that Paul uses here um, in verse 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, a group of Christians, these people had received the gospel But Paul is saying that there is a huge flashing warning light that indicates to him that they are worldly and that they are not yet ready for solid food, that they are still infants in Christ. And that flashing warning light is quarreling and jealousy in the church. Now, I get that we're perfect and we're going to talk about other churches this morning. Some of you got that joke, yes. But this is serious because Paul here is saying that, that he, he had a particular expectation 
And Paul's expectation is that they would not be in this condition. That's why he says in verse 2, indeed, you are still not ready. He is communicating as, as a leader, as an apostle, as someone who was a church planter, that they should have moved on by now. And they haven't. This is convicting stuff for us because we're human beings. If you cut us, we bleed. If you feed us beans, we don't smell great. We are prone to the same issues that were going on in Corinth. Paul makes it very clear here that if there is quarreling and jealousy, it's an indicator that something is not right at a heart level. So what does quarreling and jealousy mean? Well, the first thing is that we know they were bragging about their baptism. That's one thing that was going on. There was a kind of spiritual one-upmanship happening in the church. We used to talk when I was a kid about every now and then you'd meet a Christian who was holier than thou. Oh, sorry, that got a response. Spiritual one-upmanship, trying to out-qualify each other in the gospel. They are both self-assertion, both with jealousy and with quarreling. These are attitudes where someone is wanting to put themselves more forward than they are. Or it is seeing something which they want. Jealousy at heart is a form of coveting or desiring something which we don't presently have. These things do not come from Christ. And Paul says that these, these people are fleshly. Um, this is where the English language lets, its, lets us down a little bit. Because when Paul writes to them to begin with, um, he says that he, he was writing to people who were fleshy, that they were people who had, were of the world. But now he writes to people who aren't fleshy, but fleshly. That's the nuance which turns up in the original text, that the way they are behaving means, means that that's why they're worldly. They're not worldly because that's their state anymore. They're worldly because that's where they're deciding to be. He's saying that this is an outcome of their decisions and their choices and their actions and their behaviors. This is something that should not be the case and no longer needs to be the case, but this is where people are choosing to be. It means that there is a church in Corinth where there are people who are not going on with the Lord as an outcome of their own decisions. This should be convicting for us that it is possible for a group of people who had the Apostle Paul plan their church and minister among them and they have not gone on in Christ. So what about us? Is there quarreling? Is there bickering? Is there jealousy? I want us to to contrast this morning what Paul is about to describe. Because we remember these people are anchoring their pride and their status, their qualifications. They're, They're trying to outrank each other. They are anchoring it back to the people who baptize them. And Paul can see that some of them have anchored this actually very fleshly attitude this very worldly attitude, not, not an attitude which has come from the Lord, they've anchored it back to him and to a fellow pastor, a fellow shepherd called Apollos. These people are trying to out-Christian each other and they are anchoring it 
back to Paul. So Paul is about to give them a lesson to reestablish a proper picture of what Christian leadership is. And the word he uses here, we translate it as servant, it literally means slave. This is someone of incredibly low status. This is someone who would wait on tables. And Paul doesn't say who is Apollos and who is Paul. He says what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? These are not things that should be put on a pedestal and worshipped. He says he only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul didn't turn up because Paul was amazing. Paul turned up because he was obeying God and God's amazing. These people did not come to faith because of, of the splendor of Paul and his intellect and his personality. They came to faith because Paul is an earthen vessel with an extraordinary treasure inside him. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul then says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul makes it very clear that what he did and what Apollos did is measurable and finite and limited. In our district, we should understand planting and watering, but God making it grow really, really well. I have a huge amount of experience at putting something in the ground and watering it, and it dies. Maybe you have that same experience. Paul here is saying the person that makes it grow is actually God. The thing which causes that supernatural transformation in someone else's life is out of his hands. It's out of my hands. It's out of your hands. The glory and the allegiance belongs to the Lord, not to any human. Verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Amen but only God who makes things grow. This is Paul redefining what it means to function as a Christian leader. There's a lot of books written on leadership and a lot of books written on Christian leadership, but we need to have this very near to our hearts. Anyone who serves in a leadership capacity, whether we're leading a small group or, or, or a service at the front or whether we have, we're an office or a title bearer in any church, We exist as servants. Christ washed the feet of his disciples. And fundamentally, this is our understanding of leadership, and this is how it's supposed to function in this church as well. Someone's going to plant, and someone's going to water, and you know what? Someone's going to vacuum, and someone's going to scrub the toilets. You know what? Someone's going to work the dishwasher. Someone's going to switch the heaters on in winter. But God makes things grow. So Paul is trying here to correct their understanding. But I want to make a couple of points here before we ask some pointy questions. Because of the jealousy and the quarreling, the body suffers. Paul here is addressing the whole church. Was the whole church arguing? Very unlikely. Very, very unlikely but the whole body suffers, Paul addresses everyone as worldly because there are people in that community who are conducting themselves in a worldly manner. The body pays the price. If we are caught up trying to outrank each other or outqualify each other or out-Christian each other, or if those attitudes take root in the church, what kind of disciples might we produce? 
Will they be mature, Holy Spirit-led disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or will they end up being disciples of us? If we very quickly attach our allegiance to a particular Christian leader, what we end up doing is misplacing the emphasis for discipleship onto being conformed to the image of that Christian leader rather than the image of Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we may produce no disciples. Where there is quarreling and bickering, Paul here says that they are mere infants. And infants lack the capacity to reproduce. That's what makes them infants. They cannot lead someone else to follow Christ in a way that they themselves won't. It's not that they can't follow Christ. It's that they are choosing not to follow Christ. So we see that this is serious stuff. If when we do conflict, we do it according to the guidelines and the values of the world, we are acting beneath our new nature. Paul here says this. Verse 3, For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul here is talking about who you used to be, who I used to be, who the Corinthians used to be. When we get caught up in quarreling and in jealousy, we were supposed to leave that behind. We're supposed to have grown out of these status games. We're not supposed to get caught up in the arguments the way the world gets caught up in these arguments. And we're certainly not supposed to deal with conflict the way the world deals with conflict. We don't do that anymore. That is not who we are. When we do that, are we not acting like mere humans? So we need to turn this piece of scripture inward. As James says, we hold it up as a mirror. Lord, is their argumentative nature, their conflict or their self-assertion or their one-upmanship, is that something when I look at the scriptures I see reflecting in myself? As that was a standing testimony to Paul of the Corinthian immaturity, Lord, is there a testimony in my behavior about my immaturity? As it was obvious that they were living according to their old nature rather than the nature of the Spirit, Lord, is there a reflection in me that I also have been reaching back into the old nature and laying hold of that What rude questions. I want us to take a couple of minutes. Probably going to give you about 60 seconds. Just four questions to put up here for us to reflect, to look at ourselves and our own behavior and our interactions with family and friends. And for us to allow the scriptures by the Spirit of God to sink into our hearts that we might be released and healed and transformed. Question one. What do I boast about or want people to know about me? And what does it give me when they do? Just take a minute. If you want to write something down, write something down. No one's going to look at you sideways. 
Second one is this. When and where do I try or am I tempted to outrank or outspiritualize others? When and where do I try or am I tempted to outrank or outspiritualize others? Third one is this. What, what am I jealous of coveting and how is it affecting me? Is it an object or a person or a title? What am I jealous of and how is it affecting me? And the fourth one, if this is worldliness and immaturity, how much do I actually want to grow in Christ and to part with these behaviours and what's behind them? I'll give you a moment and then we're just going to talk about this last one for a second. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard the illustration before about how you catch a monkey. Don't worry, this will make sense in a moment. And that what you really need is, is a jar and, a, and an object of food, like a hard nut or something that fits inside the jar quite well. And then you just have to tie the jar to something. And the monkey will turn up and fit its hand inside the jar. But when it grabs that object... Its hand is now too big to come out, but it won't let go. And the monkey gets caught and eaten or whatever needs to happen really easily. But all it actually has to do is let go of something and it will be free. The problem with jealousy and with quarreling and one-upmanship and, and the pride and all that sort of stuff that goes along with it is when it's rewarded, when someone recognizes our achievements or when we, when we pull rank on someone or, or any of those things that happen, 
there's, there's part of the old nature that feels really good and feels rewarded in that moment, that it feels good to have recognition or it feels good to be promoted or to get a title or, or to exercise power. All of those things have a good feeling attached to them, but that's not what we're called to in Christ. Christ lays down, lays down his power and he doesn't come as, as a person of influence. He comes as, as an oppressed person in a poor family. We see Jesus get down on his hands and get them, get them dirty as he heals people and his feet get dirty and he gets tired and, and all the things that we, that we are tempted by are actually things that Jesus himself lets go of and he doesn't hold on to. And if we are going to become like Jesus, maybe it means that there are some things we need to let go of and pride and everything that is attached to it is a massive one particularly in the life of the church. But if the reward, the outcome, the goal is maturity, real spiritual maturity, then it really comes down to what you want. Do I want people to recognize me Or am I prepared to give that up in order to move closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow in spiritual maturity? Do I want people to know my name or do I want people to know his name? Big stuff. I am really glad that Paul wrote this because it means that the things that we see go on in our own hearts And maybe in our own church, maybe in our own families, amongst our own friends, are things that have been going on for a very, very long time. And just as the Corinthian church is able to move forward and the people in that are able to grow and mature, so are we. We're going to pray and do one last song to finish our service this morning. Lord God, we ask that you would reveal yourself. I know we pray that a lot. But Lord Jesus, you know the things in us that we need to let go of, even things that are at work in our heart that we don't even know are there, affecting our values, affecting our our picture of who we are, how much we worship ourselves, as we've heard about this morning. Lord Jesus, you know that there are people in this room this morning who so want to be near you. And Lord Jesus, I ask that you would would make known to us that assurance that you are at work in our heart. Lord God, would you remind us not only of our conviction of, of sin and of righteousness, but that you are enough, that you are at work in our hearts that you have forgiven us and that you are making us fit for yourself. You are transforming us day by day, week by week. Lord God, please continue transforming us. And where there are things in our heart or our behaviours which have taken root 
which should not be there, things holding us back, things chaining us and anchoring us back to a way of life that's not who we are anymore. Lord God, would you free us? Would you cause us to walk in the freedom that we have in Christ? We ask all these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.